Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the newest edition of the People's Podcast. I am Anthony Zambito. And I am Lucy Chan. And today we are here with our guest. He was the PPC candidate for Fort York's Dinah in Toronto. Ladies and gentlemen, um, here's Ian Roden. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Yes, yeah, so Ian and I actually know each other. We, uh, I discovered Ian through a podcast, and I loved what he had to say. And I thought, you know what? Why don't he come to our on our podcast, and um, we could discover him, and we can get to know him, and we could discover his what, what what it was like to be a PPC candidate in downtown Toronto. So, Ian, please tell us about yourself. Well, first, I'd like to say you can make a mean profiterol, or what? <laughs> what is the thing that you baked for us? I I made you a pie. Yeah, but what was it called? Because there was no bottom to it? It was a galette. I made a galette. Oh, a delicious galette, which is just a screwed up pie, right? It's just a flat pie. It was because I didn't have that much time to make a full regular pie. It's a galette is a lazy person's pie, and it was nectarine brandy saffron. It's a pie that went wrong, but it was delicious. So like, anyway, my name pie. is. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna get another pie when you when your wife has a baby, has her baby. You're gonna get another pie for me. Amazing, amazing. Um, so yeah, my name is Ian Roden, and I was the People's Party candidate in Spadina, Fort York, in the last election. Uh, I'm a small business owner. I have a couple of restaurants. I'm also a bookkeeper. I do bookkeeping and finance for a few of my uh, few companies uh, that are owned by a few friends of mine. That's cool. So uh, can you tell us um, a little bit more about yourself, just like your history, uh, you know, where you went to school and also how did you become a conservative? How did and also how did you discover the PPC and, and your journey to becoming a candidate for the PPC? So I, I always liked politics and I thought I would run later in life uh, when all my kids are grown up. Uh, but the last 18 months has made it seem like it was not on my radar screen 18 months ago to run in politics. But since COVID, it just booted that into overdrive. And I thought I just couldn't wait one minute longer. I don't want to raise my daughter in this type of society, uh, a mass society where everyone has to get a booster shot every six months just to survive. Um, But yeah, so I went to Dalhousie University. I took a degree in finance and I've pretty much been running restaurants ever since. Uh, and I would say like a lot of people, th- to me, the terms mean nothing. Any, like all these terms, like liberal conservative, they don't mean anything anymore. Uh, I say, I would be like a classic liberal, but, um, yeah, I just think more, I, I want the truth now. I, I want, um, the tr- I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a truther. I, I just want the truth. I don't want to, I don't care about PC culture. I think that's what's so great about the PPC is that. Um, if we're truthful with, with one another, we're going to get further down the road. And I think everyone's at each other's throats right now is because we're being lied to all the time. We are being lied to. The media, the, our, our government, um, are, are be, we're being lied to 24-7. It's nonstop. It's like a tsunami of of lies. And yeah, I think being a truther is actually a great term for it particularly here in Canada, because there is no difference here in Canada between NDP, conservative, or, or liberal. They're all the same. They have the same policies. They're all, they're all the same. So there's no point. Maybe in America, it's, it's different. You know, there are still true hard conservatives and also true hard Republicans. There is sometimes there's a difference between Republican and conservative because conservative people gear more towards um, having Republican values, but also Christian values as well, or traditional uh, religious values. But uh, how did you discover the PPC, Ian? So I, I, in the last election, I was still on the uh, vote conservative to get Trudeau, Trudeau out train. And I had never met anyone from the PPC. And, and Max, I thought, did well in the debate. But I thought I thought Scheer did fine as well. Um, I didn't really know much about the PPC platform. Um, so I probably found out a lot more of it since COVID hit and Max started to get more on the radar screen uh, through social media and just how he was against uh, you know, the lockdowns and everything. And then the more you read about the platform and what his whole um, what the whole platform is all about, you really get you really understand why it's such a great platform and why most people, if they actually knew about the PPC, would vote vote for it. I completely agree. I think, how about you, Anthony? 
hundred percent. I mean, um, I, I agree with what you're saying there. Like, uh, a, a lot, there's no denying that there's a lot of people in the PPC who are conservative, but, uh, you know, I even saw it on the campaign trail. We got votes from former NDP people, former Green Party people, former liberals, former former conservatives as well. Uh, if there's, well, you know, a, a lot of people themselves as classic liberals in our party, um, a lot of people define themselves as libertarian in our party. I think the biggest thing with the PPC is that we are the only party that actually opposes all these mandates and lockdowns. And we're the only party that's actually values freedom. Uh, that That's something that's been missing in the political discourse for a long time in Canada. So I definitely see where Ian got on board with that because all those things kind of drew me to the party as well. Yeah. I, uh, Michael, I was just going to say, Michael Malice, he said that conservatism is just liberalism at the speed limit. And I think that we're just going, you know, at, you can see this cancel culture and this woke ideology that, that liberalism is just going a mile a minute now. It's 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 ramped up the internet or or whatever reason it's just going way too fast, way too quick, and people aren't stopping to think. Even when you look at COVID, no one stopped to think. Hey, is what we're doing right? We just copied what China did without thinking twice. We threw out our pandemic playbook and copied exactly what China did. So, I think, and then also when people would say, "Oh, we're libertarian." When 60 to 70% of all your money goes to one form of government or another, wanting to scale that back 10%, 15% doesn't make one libertarian. Um, but, I, but I agree that like, if, if you want to condense it, that's the best way to explain it to someone, and, you know, that it's more libertarian, conservative ideology. Mm-hmm. And how did you decide to become a candidate? And also a candidate for uh, down, uh, for a region in downtown Toronto, which is very woke. In fact, you are your your riding is right next to mine. And yeah, so how did you bec- how did you get from literally to be a, be a PPC candidate? I was just bought beside myself <laughs> with with COVID. There wasn't much going on, right? In, for in terms of social activities, so uh, I loved. As the more I read about the PPC, the more I loved it. And I thought this is just perfect timing. Also, I, I am in a position since I own my own business, I could step away and, and really dedicate my time to it. And I chose that riding strategically because I thought I could convince all the conservatives because I, I thought that riding is definitely not going to turn conservative, but maybe it would turn towards something like the PPC. So I, I generally thought I had a chance because yeah, just it didn't seem like the conservatives had much momentum in that riding. And what's crazy is that they put in a candidate the very last day, like the Sunday you had to have all your signatures in. They literally threw someone's name on the ballot. I had my social media up. I had my website up. I had, I would, I was already basically campaigning um, or, or I had everything ready to go. And they literally just put someone's name on the ballot. Um, and the, what's funny is that we grew and the conservatives in the riding grew, even though she didn't even campaign. So I think still there's enough people who think just vote conservative to get Trudeau out. Mm-hmm. So I would like, I would love uh, you and a- Anthony to talk because Anthony, you are the PPC riding in the Caledon area, which is more rural, rural, which is definitely conservative. And Ian, you are the PPC riding for, can I say for yeah, it's Fort York Spadina, right? Yes, Spadina Fort York. Yes, Spadina Fort York. And which again is very different than Caledon, very, dare I say, woke, very liberal and very progressive. And I put progressive in quotation. So how 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 what was that well, not that journey, but what were the observations that you had? And also, uh Anthony, what were your observations uh for and your um, findings when it came to running in, you know, in more of a rural Ontario area. Um, I thought that um, it, it was great because, you know, 90% of the conversations I had, uh, the person was in agreement of what I had to say. Um, a lot of people know that Trudeau, like people see the corruption that's happening, not just at the federal level, but at the provincial and the municipal level as well. Um Kyle Seaback, who is the current uh, MP, he's he was a conservative candidate. He he's not really uh, a strong candidate in the sense that he's not he's not the type of person to stand up in Parliament. There are some conservatives who stand up on certain issues. Pierre Polyev comes to mind. Uh, Kyle Seaback's a lawyer, and he spent six years in office. He hasn't e- even introduced a uh, you know a piece of legislation to Parliament. 
Uh, and I asked myself, why are we paying him? And at the same time, uh, the liberals were, uh, you know, nobody, nobody in the riding really liked them. Um, I was a little bit surprised that we, you know, we got the, that we got less than 10% of the vote um, because I thought that more Canadians and more people in Dufferin Caledon would have realized that the Conservative Party, they were never going to stand up for the rights of Canadians. Kelsey Back was never going to stand up for the rights of Canadians. And I think what's shocking is I think there are people who know that and still voted Conservative just because their main goal was to, uh, to get Trudeau out of office. Unfortunately, that didn't work. Um, but going back to it, they're like, it's really easy to have a conversation up here and to get the message up here. I'm sure it's complete contrast to what Ian went through at Four Year Expedina. So what was trippy to me is that there was a bunch of people that I didn't have a lot of pushback door to door. I, I probably got legitimately harassed three times, which I thought it would be way more. I thought it would have been like a daily occurrence, but um and, and just like uh, Anthony said, I, I, a lot of people at the door, once you talked about what the, the party was all about, they, they were really in agreement. Um, one sticking point is the vaccine passports. It seems like tons of people were really in favor of the vaccine passport. So I didn't really, I campaigned mainly on cost of living and the spending. That's my background, it's finance. And I think a lot of things stem from that. A lot of the issues we're going through now, it's, it's money, it comes down to money. And uh, a lot of people in, in my writing, they have condos, but they want to one day be able to afford a house. And they see that the money printing, every single other party makes these grandiose promises, even the conservatives, whereas we'd be the only party that would put an end to all the money printing. Inflation is something that I have a feeling come next year is going to be a much bigger issue in the Toronto area than most people, even people um, that I know in my in my generation. Um, they, they have no idea what's coming. They have no idea how it's going to hit them like a, you know, like a truck, a loaded truck, too. Um, so I think maybe in the next election, which was going to happen in 17 months, because that is what Trudeau said in the, during the campaign. It's like, if I don't win a majority, I'm coming back. We're doing another one in 18 months. It's another $600 million of our Canadian tax dollars just going right there. But uh, it was interesting how you guys ran on different platforms. Uh, what, um, what platforms do you think um, would you guys do differently? Uh, if you do decide to run, I mean, Anthony, are you going to run? Uh, Ian, are you going to run again? Anthony, you go first. Uh, yeah, I see myself running uh, federally again, if need be. Um, I don't think our policies um, like differ. Like Ian, I'm sure you and I agree on most uh, principles. I think the, the thing that really differed is just like the stuff we stressed to the undecided voter. Like a big issue for us was um, was the COVID passports. In addition to that, a huge issue affecting Dufferin Caledon is um, access to broadband, high-speed internet. That's something that affects rural people. Um, you know, uh, cost of living as well, same thing. Um, I reconnected with a lot of people from my graduating class, and that's a huge issue that uh, a lot of people 30 and under are facing. Um, yeah, I kind of just basically, I listened to what the people, what, what issues the people had, and I basically replied off of that. And oftentimes I found myself talking about mainly those three issues i think my strategy where i fell down was and they warn you don't kind of debate people at the door uh you want to kind of convert people and i think if we're looking long term i think it's a good strategy to debate people because i definitely uh broke down some stereotypes like some people would say oh do you, i i door knocked one guy who had moved here from india and he said Oh, I thought, you know, you know, my friend who's also Indian lives in Alberta, he said PPC was the way to go. And I was so skeptical because I heard you guys were white supremacists and all this stuff. And then after talking to him for 30 minutes, he's like, geez, you changed my mind completely. You know, I, I just thought the mere fact that you're sitting and talking with me um, shows me that you guys aren't that. And uh, he, he was so there, I definitely had tons of conversations where people were they seemed like they were shocked about what we had to say. But I think that the next time around, you should door knock and just look for people who are receptive. Uh, you know, if someone's not receptive, say, hey, I'm in the area, you want a conversation. If you want to engage with me, great. But I'm, you know, if, if you are just totally on a different wavelength, nice meeting you, and you move on to the conservative, that's what I would have done differently. Just 
as fast as possible, get to all the people who are thinking conservative or the people who are thinking of voting for the PPC and get in front of their faces because you really, especially with no media, we need to get in front of people's faces to say, I'm here and I'm willing to work for you. Yeah, and we just yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I, towards the end of the election, I actually came up with like a, a new strategy. I just kind of, if, if I was having a conversation with somebody, uh, obviously, you know, I would be trying to get their vote. But once I realized that it wasn't attainable, I would just basically, you know, remind them to always vote your conscience. Uh, there's a lot of people who try to vote strategically, and as a result, they end up voting for a party that they don't identify with in order to maybe keep out another party. I told them the best thing you can do for yourself is to vote your conscience, and the best thing you can do for the party you want to vote for is vote your conscience, because while your candidate might not win your riding, at least um, you know your vote adds to the popular total, and each party receives money from the government based on the number of votes they got nationwide. Um, I just felt like being sincere and ending the conversation off on a good note, trying to be like a loving role model type of citizen. Um, that that was the way I closed off those conversations. And yeah, you're right. On to the next. Uh, we have big ridings to cover. Yours is very populated. Mine's very vast. So time is money and time is good. And, and the, the mere fact that the election was 35 days is, is criminal, criminal. You you could not door knock some someone in the Facebook group in the area went on saying like none of the candidates came to my door and and I just like do the math do the math like how could I door knock a hundred thousand people uh, in in thirty five days and let alone have a conversation with them and that's where I should have been more diligent in saying I would you know five minutes at the door that's all I'm going to say uh, you know talk to this person for and just move on whereas I would you know I'd, I'd, I love talking if it's not obvious so. So I get there, and even if someone was totally like, uh, you know, I door knocked someone who said like, "There's no way I'm voting for you." Plenty of people like that, and I would still talk to them for thirty minutes, and and you'd end leaving on a high note, you know, that you've kind of changed their mind or nudged them in a different direction, but it still probably wasn't the game plan if you wanted to win. Mm-hmm. Speaking of winning, we did not. <laughs> not win just to have just to let everybody know that i am a member of the ppc i have been a member of the ppc since near the beginning a member since 2019 so just saying that i um me i am team ppc just to let our audience know but uh to bring it back to real not reality but the bad news we did not win we don't win any writings including which means anthony and ian did not win their writings as well uh, so what do you guys think of the election results? And also, let's talk also about election coverage, too, on election night. Because I, I, there's, there's, there's some opinions out there. And we all, all three of us have some strong ones. Uh, at the end of the campaign, at the end of the day, um, I was super proud of the campaign we ran. Uh, it didn't achieve victory, but it was definitely a success. Like, I'm thankful that, you know, we were able to build this community of patriots, like-minded people up in Dufferin Caledon. Um, but on election night, I was just very, I think I experienced every type of emotion you could possibly experience on election night. Um, but the two things that stand out to me, number one, I was so disappointed in the media because I think if we had actual unbiased coverage throughout our campaign, the same that every other party would have received, it would have been a different election. And number two, I was just kind of disappointed that there's so still so many confused and, you know, compliant Canadians and ignorant Canadians that don't understand what's going on, um, that want change, but don't know how to go about it, or that believe everything that's being said by the media and government, not thinking critically. Um, yeah, so it was just a wave of emotion from start to finish. But if I had to do it all over again, I definitely would. I think it was worth it. I think in the next election in 17 months, we will grow. I think we will maybe even double our numbers, because we did what eight hundred and fifty thousand, almost nine hundred thousand people um, vote votes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think in the next election, I think we will do we'll we'll reach over one point five million votes. I think. Yeah, I, I wish I thought I thought Anthony was going to win. I looked at his social media and what he was doing compared to the conservative area. I thought I thought uh, Chelsea Hillier was going to win for sure. Mark Friesen in Saskatchewan, I thought he was going to win. Uh, Viva Fry, I thought this guy, when Mark Garneau, an astronaut, said that you need to uh, self-isolate from people in your own home, I, I thought like, <laughs> I 
no one could vote for someone who says something so outrageously stupid. And and Viva Fry is so whip smart and and has such a great following and just generally an amazing guy. I just thought he had a legitimate chance. And I, like my my friend's parents drove from Ottawa to Whitehorse and they said the prairies were all purple. I thought we were going to pick up so many seats. So yeah, it just shows you how much power the media has on people. It, it, it is a shocking how much power the legacy media has on people. It is. And I find, what I find really interesting is that Canadians are completely unaware at how, at how not, not just powerful, but how, um, how bad it is. Because when you say that there's no opposition, they'll just say, oh, that's uh, racist or that's alt-right or something. Like, I mean, to have a free democracy, to have a free country, you have to have opposing views on a national platform, whether you like it or not. And, you know, as someone who you know, is the daughter of refugees. Just to give you guys heads up a little bit about my uh, history, my the reason why uh, I, I guess I'm so patriotic or uh, such a freedom fighter is that my father was. My father, when he when he was in university in Saigon, during uh, his roommate was very political, was very vocal, and one day the Communist Party of Vietnam kidnapped him and sent him to an every edu education camp, and that was the catalyst to send my father to back to Laos to join the army to fight for freedom when the communists came over from Vietnam to Laos. And so maybe that's part of my DNA. Uh, but I think that's, uh, so for me, when I, I want to hear opposing views because of, you know, what happened to my father and my, and what my father's history is. And, and I think that people in this country are so, I call it the princess and the pea syndrome. You know, where I don't know if you guys remember the story of the princess and the pea when you were a child, but just let me to give you a little bit of a refresher. Uh, it's a girl and she is very, very, very sensitive. And she goes on different beds to, and it's nothing, it's, it's always too hard. It's always too this. And she goes on one bed that has like 20 mattresses and there's one little tiny pea underneath the bottom of the mattress. And she can't under, she, and she's like, no, it's too much. It's, 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 I, I can't, it's too, I, I I'm uncomfortable. And this little time, and it's just this, you, can, you cannot feel it, but she just goes overboard. She has, uh, she has a woke reaction basically. And I think that's what is what's happened to Canadians. We've been so Canadians. Canadians are like too sensitive or. Yeah, we're too, we're too, we're too sensitive. We're too, yeah. And I was talking to a friend of mine today and she was saying that her aunt who I know, uh, you know, won't listen to her, won't have a discussion. She's just, no, not going to listen to it. I'm not going to listen to it. And it's, and I think that's and that thing, I think that's came from the media. I think too when uh, we all had that buddy who dated the girl who cheated on him multiple times, <laughs> and uh, you know lied and and everyone knew the lie. He knew the lie, but he just didn't want to believe it. And I think that's what a lot of Canadians are going through right now. Is that you know I, I can tell my parents like, hey, CBC lied, and then no, they didn't. Okay, here's the proof. Okay, well, whatever. That's you know they'll they'll forgive it until the end, until it's uh, it's too late. And I think that's what we're trying to do is warn people that like you no, know, when people can get away with these lies, they don't stop. They don't just like the girlfriend. They just keep going. You have to do it. You have to disassociate it. So I think that's a bit of what we're going through right now. Interesting. Yeah. No, I. I what you're saying um see i always say that canadians have been spoiled rotten we're to the point that we don't have any problems so we make up our own 100 yes. we ignore actual real problems a perfect example would be the truth and reconciliation tour that the federal government's been going on <laughs> in regards to native Amer uh native canadians uh it's a good thing that they painted a crosswalk in orangeville orange that's really gonna you know and it's a good thing that we've been doing these campaigns but the reality is we're not going to get justice until we actually start seeing members of the government, you know, members of the RCMP, members of the, the church actually stand trial for any crimes that they've committed. Um, I want to see that um, because that would actually put an end to a very ugly chapter of Canadian history rather than this truth and reconciliation tour trying to make everyone feel guilty for crimes they didn't commit. 
it's virtue signaling on a government level. And also what natives also, indigenous people here in Canada also need is fresh water. They need mm -hmm. clean water. And it's been five years now under, or, or six years now under the um, Trudeau government and that still hasn't been achieved. And yeah, instead of wearing orange, why don't we actually do that? Um, I guess, yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. So, the, the worst part though is about some of these lies is that, uh, there's, you know, like Fauci, that they're white lies, right? Like they know better than you. They're lying to you because they know. So for for example, the vaccine passports. Oh, we need them to, uh, you know, to help stop COVID. Really, they're just trying to get more people to take the vaccine. So it's it's a white lie that it's going to stop COVID, uh, these vaccine passports. So I think, like you you say the the, the native, um, what's it called? Uh, well, the Truth and Reconciliation and all that. I can't wait for 34 years from now for there to be a truth and reconciliation about COVID where, hey, all this generation of kids who had to wear masks all day and were psychologically traumatized about the climate change. Like there's going to be, and then the government will say, hey, we were just doing the right thing at the time. We were just, you know, spreading these white lies that uh, we thought we knew better than everyone and we didn't, but we're sorry. So I, I just think it's, it's history is going to repeat itself 100%, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. All these kids, when they're grown up and had so many of the pivotal moments in their lives taken away from them because of this pandemic that was not at, at all a threat to them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think that's what's probably the most tragic and um, asinine and I guess horrific a criminal thing that is happening is that we're, what we're doing to children. You know, I read uh, in America and in Canada, one in four teenage girls since the pandemic has started have thoughts of suicide now, one in four. In Canada, it's one in five. And so we are destroying an entire generation. We are literally destroying an entire generation. For what? For a virus that they have 99.9997% chance of survival. It doesn't affect them. It affects people who are um, 80 plus, gen or actually more like 75 and plus, who have pre-existing uh, conditions, and you know, and many and also, let's just be honest. Let's not be PC about this. A lot of people who are affected by COVID are overweight. Mm -hmm. And if it, there was a study that came out that seventy percent of all COVID hospitalizations were because the people were overweight and obese. Yeah, the the, the people I blame the most. <laughs> let's start playing the blame game here. Let's the people it. I blame, I blame the most are people of my parents' age who you're retired. You, my parents are, are uh, like, they have pensions. They, they're fine financially. Uh, they, we're doing this for them, right? We're doing this for them. They have to speak up to say, like, essentially what they're saying through the media or what the media is kind of putting in their mouths is, um, oh, your, your um, wedding has to be canceled. Your prom has to be canceled. Oh, you made the OHL. Well, we have to cancel. You know, you've worked your butt off to make the OHL. Your season has to be canceled to protect me. And they need to start speaking up to say, no, we don't need this protection or, or we don't want people, kids' lives ruined to protect us. Like it's, it's a sign of a sick society when the elderly who've lived their best lives are the ones asking for kids to sacrifice just to protect them. Yes, you've lived your life. I'm sorry, but as someone who's younger, I'm sure Anthony feels the exact same, similar to me. You've lived your life, and you you have and you have money, and you probably have a house. You're pretty cushy now. Let me live my life. Let me let my friends, let my cousins, let my you know my colleagues, and you know people, you know millennials and under. Let us live our lives, and, yeah. and it's and it's it's really selfish. It's incredibly selfish to, um, for them to say, "Think of me when literally you have." a couple decades left which you should live to the fullest exact but i mean that's you know we have a we have what 60 years to go 60 70 years and when you factor in some of these people's risk profiles they're not like my parents aren't at risk of covid i'm, I'm sorry they're my mom bikes 100 kilometers a day she's 70 years old or 72 she's fit very very fit if you actually do the math she's at very 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 risk low risk of COVID. And I can prove that by none of her friends, like none of their extended friends, family or anything have, have had any complications due to COVID in mm -hmm. two years. Mm -hmm. Like well, throughout the course of history, there's never been, like, I can't think of a single historic precedent where 
the young and healthy have had to put their life on hold to protect the old and the sick. I mean, you think about the Titanic, what happened yeah. to the iceberg. I mean, the children first, there's a reason for that. Um, so that's, yeah, it's just been ludicrous. And I've been called a grandma killer. You know, I don't want to see none of us away. I don't, I, you know, I don't want to see, I, I wish everybody a long, happy and healthy life. Um, but this mentality that, you know, we need to sacrifice our lives, like you said, for, for people who lived it, it's just not, not only is it, um, you know, kind of immoral, it's also unprecedented throughout history. I can't think of a single example where, where that It also doesn't make sense because we, the younger people, are the ones who are going to be, who are inheriting this earth and this is our planet and this is our world. And also, if we sacrifice our our, our finances, our, you know, our uh, careers, our, our lives, what happens for the next generation afterwards? Like, you we're giving you nothing. You know, mm -hmm. it make any, there's there's no wealth to there's or society or you know to to pass down to that's decent afterwards. I mean, so it, it, it honestly from a long term perspective, it doesn't make sense. Uh, but what makes sense, I guess, nowadays in 2021? Um, I have a question for you guys. Um, it's been six weeks now after our, the election. What do you guys think of what's happening in Canada and <laughs> happening in Ontario? Yeah, and you wanna you wanna take this one away? So what's happening exactly? Well, like, uh, let's see. We the, the vaccine passports have been uh, implemented in basically every in all across Canada. If you cannot have, if you do not, or if you're not double vaxxed, you cannot and do not have the QR code and also the papers and also a negative test. You cannot crisscross this country in a plane or a train, even though that is our, our right in the Charter of Rights. Our right is that we can move across this vast nation from Newfoundland to Vancouver, you know, and have no problem unless we're some sort of serial killer or something. Um, uh, and and that that's been taken away from us. People are losing their jobs because of uh, vaccine mandates. Um, people are losing their livelihoods, their dreams. They're losing, you know, being able to feed their kids, their mental health. This, the, men, uh, the real pandemic is the mental health. That's, you know, that is, hap that, that is happening and going to happen for not just years, decades. This is going this, this to have ramifications, ramifications for the, and consequences for another 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and so, yeah, what, what, what do you guys think? Like, is it going to get worse? Is it going to get better as, you know, I'm just shocked. Uh, Jordan Peterson put out a tweet today saying how he spoke to a high, high, high level Canadian official. And they said that all of these mandates and restrictions are based off of polling and not science or anything else. And I knew this because I called my MPP in Burlington, James McKenna, a year ago. And that's what, and she admitted that to me, that, that it's all based on polling. That, that, pardon me? They recorded that and then put it on tape. You record that and let, and let it fly. Let but it go this is the thing. People don't care. So I'm, I'm part of a restaurant association in Burlington, and they're talking about minimum wage. And, uh, you know, we, we, they, we've played defense so long, we're just used to it. And so they're bitching about minimum wage. And I said, you know, let's one last ditch effort to say, hey, can we get together and just do this non-compliance thing and start playing offense so that, you know, make them work for us and see that we're, we're a united front and we're not going to take any of this stuff. And that I, I shared Jordan Peterson's tweet to, and I said, you know, I've, I spoke to Jane McKenna. She said the same thing, that all of this is based off polls, not science. And it's like, they don't care. They don't care. I, 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 I'm shocked that people, that alone should make people just outraged. And it's like, wait a second, this has nothing to do with science. Like, so, so I think it's gone in Canada. It has to get much, much worse before it gets better. Much worse. Yeah. I sometimes I wonder if Canadians deserve it for being <laughs> so complacent and being so compliant. Uh, and to being, I, maybe I'm just like, you know, sometimes we get what we deserve. I, I don't deserve it. But <laughs> unfortunately, I live in this country. <laughs> Ray said it after the election. I've been repeating it. Canada will inherit the country that it voted for and the country that it deserves. And it's true. Um, I agree, Ian. You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, things are going to get worse before they get better. A lot of people uh, have this mentality that politics is a sideline sport, but it never is. You are always in the game, whether you like it or not. No politician will be ever to save you. Um, 
that's why it, things are not going to get better until people uh, empower themselves and actually start standing up for themselves. Um, I'm so thankful that the freedom movement and the parties like the PPC exist so that people can, uh, you know, connect to like-minded people and rally to support a cause that they're passionate about. But uh, the reality is, you know, until the people you actually unite over this and non-compliance, peaceful non-compliance, it's going to be much of the same. It's going to be a lot of people yelling at the TV because they don't like what they hear. But, you know, these people aren't going to write their MPs. These people aren't going to uh, uh, go to go to rallies and fight for what they know. A lot of people won't even push back at work when uh, an unlawful mandate makes their uh, their way to them. Um, until that happens, yeah, we're going to see a lot of the same path. It's unfortunate because especially now with Remembrance Day being right around the corner, you know, I always look back at things that, you know, uh, our Canadian soldiers have fought for, the values we stood up for. And I am willing to bet that many of those soldiers, you know, living or passed away, they would not like what is happening. And they would understand, it would be the first to understand, especially the ones that fought in World War II, that, um, you know, the longer you comply, the worse things get. Yeah. Have you heard the, the, uh, the saying, uh, bad times create strong men, strong men create good times, and then good times create weak men? And the cycle repeats, and and I think I think that World War Two that's that's the golden generation, or what was that? What do they call that? Uh, is the strongest generation, the greatest generation ever lived. Yeah. So they created the boomers, and they're the weakest generation alive. I, I'm not I, painting I think, all. I think the Gen Z, -er, I think the Gen Xers are, or not the, the Gen Xers, the Gen Zers, the ones, <laughs> the 25 and unders. Hmm. <laughs> Personal opinion. I just think the boomers aren't the. If, if us standing up right now, we're sacrificing so much, our career, uh, our, our social, uh, you know, where we are in the social uh, order, uh, there's so much stuff we're sacrificing by staying up now. If you're a boomer, if you're retired, you are sacrificing nothing. No one's going to fire you. And most people, your career and putting food on the table is the most important thing in life. So if you've already got that sorted out, if you're already retired on a pension, you should be standing up. That's it. That's best person to be standing up and you're retired you have time you have time to go i'm so sick of going to these rallies like i i love them i've met tons of people but you kind of go to the same rallies you see the same speech you know the people say the same speeches over and over again and it's just kind of like i know so many people who have never been to one rally and it's been 18 months mm -hmm. yeah. um speaking of speaking up let's kind of move south let's go to america because something big happened last night uh, a mini red wave happens last night in America, meaning that Virginia, the state of Virginia, not just elected a Republican conservative governor, but the entire legislation of Virginia went red. Uh, Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant General or Lieutenant, was it Lieutenant Governor, I guess, or uh, and the Attorney General as well. They all went red and also uh, many Congress seats flipped from Democrat to red, and also New Jersey was tightly contested, even, even though um, they said it was gonna be a clean democratic sweep, it was basically like the guy won, and I put down the D Democrat won in quotations, uh, by 0.7% of the vote. And it and it's, you know, Americans are very different from us. I think we, I've discovered that um, over this pandemic, they fight, they get up and fight and they, and all this stuff that is happening with COVID and critical race theory being taught in their school, gender theory being taught in their schools, they are rising up and they are fighting. Last night was, a pre, I think, a precursor to what's going to happen in 2022 when they win the House and the Senate back. And, and let's see what happens in 2024. But, uh, <laughs> I, that, that when you guys said that how come you know all we do is complain and you know all we you know nobody goes to rallies in America they they do they even have their own uh, line let's go Brandon we don't have a we don't have a one for Trudeau I mean we should have we should create one the PPC should create one for for Trudeau May, um, a Trudeau drama teacher a blackface Trudeau I don't know but um, so. I, I think I think that Canadians the U.S they probably have 30 to 40% of their population, no matter what, have a healthy distrust of the government. And I think in Canada, that number is maybe three to 
Um, so I think that's one of the big differences is that the, the government, even if, if Trump wins, there's enough people that would say they'd still not trust him completely. You know, he has fans and people like him and what he does, but they'd still wouldn't trust the government. He, he's not necessarily the government. That's, that's forgotten as well. Or people don't realize as an elected rep representative, I'm against the government and business. I'm, I'm fighting for the people against big business and big government. Whereas people ball it all up, like the liberal government, the, the liberal government in Ottawa, the liberal government, where it's like, no, you're elected, the liberal elected representatives. You know, it, it's, we need to detach, like, I'm being elected to keep them both in check, like, just like you'd hire a lawyer to keep things on the up and up and keep people in check. Yeah, and you, you also got to think, too, there's a huge contrast or huge difference between um you know american history and canadian history in regards to their government uh whereas the united states was created out of conflict canada was created out of compromise you know all 13 british colonies rose up in rebellion to uh to great britain right and they fought a very long and hard war over it canada has fought battles for its uh its independence for its uh its freedom from the crown but it never amassed to a nationwide dis dispute. They were often isolated and they were often put down by the British crown. Uh, that being said, though, um, you know, the political elites, particularly, uh, you know, before Confederation, understood that they had to give, they had to uh, maintain a certain level of uh, rights and freedoms for their citizens, lest they have another American revolution happening in Canada. Um, so there has always been distrust of the governments, uh, you know, but it's, yeah, uh, at a much smaller degree than, than what we're seeing in the United States. And another thing with the United States, too, is that they are able to culturalize so many moments. Um, Let's Go Brandon started off as like a chant at a um, NCAA football game, and it is just taken off everywhere. It's, you know, in every sport. We just saw it at the World Series. It's broken out at NHL games. It's broken out at high school football games. And it's in every NCAA football game in the country. It crossed um, the ocean to Germany and other and other rallies in, in Europe. They were there chanting, let's go, Brandon, in Germany. And I think in Switzerland as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, I say we just continue chanting, let's go, Brandon. I think Trudeau will get the message either way. <laughs> let's get on board with this. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I will have to say, though, um, I'm studying the American Constitution and Declaration of Independence right now. I'm in a 12, 13 week course and written in their Declaration of Independence is a is a is the distrust of government is written in there talking about and also in the in the Constitution as well. You know, it's in the first few lines of the Declaration of Independence. It says, you know, if the people if the government is not serving its people, you can dissolve it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? That is your right that says it is your right. It is your God-given right by your Creator, by God. Um, so, and that's what it says in the Constitution. So, it's something that was in that is literally ingrained in the DNA of America is to rebel and is to distrust and never be never trust a government and and, not, uh, and people in power. And I think I actually think that's a really smart move because power corrupts, you know, and uh, no matter how lovely that person is or how uh, smart you think that person is or educated, you know, once many times when people taste that ounce of power, that little just, you know, tablespoon of power there, it, they, that it, it, they get drunk on it. And I think that's what's happening right now with the government here in Canada. Um, do, you, what, what, what do you think that, uh, um, if America turns red, that will affect Canada. Do you think that um, Trudeau will ease up on the border? Do you think he'll do anything uh, if if America is goes red fully again? I that's hard to say. I, I think Canada. Yeah, we might be just like 10, 20 years behind the U.S. If I'm being optimistic, is it's that Canada will eventually we will get our bearings back. People will understand that. It's okay to have pride in country. It's it's not racist to be proud of your country. It's not racist to want to be a sovereign country and not be dictated by the uh, dictators at the UN, which is essentially what we seem to be buying into. The the government, you know, the the liberals seem to, and the NDP, and pretty much every party other than the PPC, they're buying into this UN agenda when 
we didn't elect anyone in the UN. So um, yeah, we'll see if, if, if they send a strong enough message, I think that maybe it'll embolden more people in Canada to look towards the PPC if they send some sort of, uh, that a revolution can happen. Because I, I think Virginia is fairly democratic it's it was always part- blue. It was all it was blue for the past 10 years. It was starting to become a democratic stronghold and them flipping and not just flipping um, the governor, but the entire the everything into uh, into red was was a big shock. And also uh, Kamala Harris. I don't know if you know her, if you've mm-hmm. heard of her, but uh, she said in a rally a couple of days ago, she says what happens in Virginia? Well, is is the pre, uh, precursor or the predecessor to what's going to happen in 2022 and 2024, and that's why I'm asking these questions because everything that happens in America is affects Canada automatically, and um, I and also let's just be honest about Canadians. We're followers. We're not leaders. We follow yeah. what America does. So if America turns red, and or uh, become, um, is has uh, Republicans and conservatives, real Republicans and conservatives, not rhinos. Will how you know? Will that catch on here in Canada? I, I worked for. Uh, have you guys heard of Edward Jones? Not heard of Edward Jones. They're they're a proper Edward. What did you say, Nancy? Are they a what? Uh, no, I just said I I I was just joking, and and Anthony was saying I can't say I have. Oh, okay. So, so they're a brokerage from the States, one of the best companies I've ever worked for. So it's, it's a, a financial brokerage, but they don't have their own mutual funds. They don't have, you know, they don't bring stocks public. So they're, they're unbiased. Whereas if you look at, you know, if you went to RBC for advice, well, RBC has their own mutual funds. RBC will take stocks public. So they're, they're always going to have kind of an inherent bias. Anyway, I worked with, with them. They were the best company I've ever worked for. And what they do is when you go to a certain area, it is a lot like politics. Like you go door to door and tell people you're opening up a, a branch in the area and they really are big on door to door. That's why I thought I would do well with PPC too, because I saw how effective the door to door was. And uh, they would bring people from all across North America to kind of the best of the best um, and uh, kind of brokers to give you pep talks or advice. And in the U.S., it, 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 it's something like you just had to touch someone once or twice and they might take you, like they might become a client of yours. By touching, I mean, like if you door knock them once, they might say, hey, my guy's terrible. Yeah, I'll give you a shot. It, you know, I'll open up an account like next week. Whereas in, the, in Canada, it's many more. We're so risk averse. It takes many more touches and phone calls and uh, to, to kind of convert someone to be a client. Um, so I think that it just... It's it's exemplifies what you're talking about. How we're follow, we're followers. Like we we need to see it happen in a few other places to be able to see that it's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would just have to say a little anecdote with my experience. I now work for an American company. I work for a very very large American company, and they to say that they're not at risk averse is absolutely true because i would present them my ideas huge ideas things that will cost like literally a million dollars two million dollars with budget and they're like we love it and like if it's if 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 we if this makes us different if this makes us the first if this makes us you know a winners if this makes us um whatever it is we'll do it and Mm -hmm. and now and the contrast from working in american canadian companies they're like i don't know I don't know if we can get the budget. Um, that's that's a little bit too much for us. I mean, it's great that you think outside the box, but uh, you know, let's scale it back. You know, let and so and which I which I had discovered over the past year now working for this American company. They're just like, yes, if you know, if this will uh, uh, be you know different, if this will you know, they will go for it. They, and and mm-hmm. which, I, which I actually find quite refreshing because yes. I think that fortune favors the brave. Yep. Yes. Good line. Yeah. Well, yeah. Line that people use a lot in tennis. So I'm a big tennis fan. So <laughs> that they Djokovic. Always, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh God. That, I, we can have a podcast about tennis and Djokovic and Roger Federer and Rafa completely, but we have to talk to politics, but, but Djokovic is against vaccine mandates. Yeah, exactly. Something yeah. that I've been reading about recently too. I don't know if you follow European soccer. I dabble with it every now and then. And, um, there are so many players that are developing some sort of heart complication either on the pitch or off the pitch um, and it's affecting their ability to play. 
Um, I, I think I just read recently that Sergio Aguero from Barcelona is facing uh, chest complications as mm-hmm. well as I don't know if you remember a scary moment in the Euro 2020. I think it was a player from Denmark. He uh, he fainted while he was playing. He's still not playing for Inter Milan. And there's a lot of players in smaller leagues that are suffering from these heart complications. Now, based on you know my observation with soccer, you might hear about somebody passing away on the field a few times a year, less less than a handful. You you don't hear about multiple cases happening within the same week or within the same month. The way yeah. yeah, yeah. My do you think it's myocarditis, which is uh, apparently a one of the more common side effects to the vaccines? Pretty good. It's not. Um, I don't wish, uh, you know, bad to happen to, I don't wish for bad things to happen upon anybody and I pretty God it isn't, but we're at the point where we got to be asking ourselves, like, is it related? And there's a lot of people listening to this. I know what you're going to say. Yes, it is definitely related. And you know what? I think it is too, but these aren't the questions that the mainstream media isn't asking and it isn't the narrative that the government wants to go with. So these are just questions that we ponder upon ourselves and they're not being answered in the proper fashion. I've noticed just in watching sport, you know, I'm a big sports nut and it seems like way more players are testing positive for COVID this year than same time last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it just, and now they're fully vaxxed, right? So it just seems you'd think that it would be way, I, I was expecting it to be way more rare, but Crosby just tested positive and he has yeah. symptoms. The, the worst, worst thing is these when someone tests positive with no symptoms, that should not be recorded. That should be a, that's a, like in anything in life, that, that would be a faulty positive. But they treat that like a case. So it's very confusing. It's hard to get a beat on things because like Alex Anthopoulos, he's the GM of the Blue Jays, uh, sorry, the Atlanta Braves. They just won the World Series. Yes, they did. Shouts out to Alex Anthopoulos. Sorry, continue. Yes. And also how, just a side note, how sweet justice it is that the MLB, because of the voter registration laws that Georgia put in saying it's racist when it's not, when everybody should just have an ID. Um, they got out of Atlanta. They got out of Georgia and went to Colorado saying it's protesting it's racist. And then literally a few months later, Atlanta wins. Like it's just... Sometimes you have to say whether it's God or karma, whoever you think your life forces or the, the higher power that you believe in, it is sweet justice sometimes. It is just perfect, serendipitous justice. And, and they moved it to Colorado where the laws are stricter. That, that's the one thing. We, you know how there's certain things where you run by someone to see if they're like totally, if they're capable of. So, so my dad, I told him about the Georgia voting law and I said, just you know, we there's no debate here. Do you think you need an ID to vote? And he's like, oh, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And then he sent me an interview that uh, from CBC radio, they interviewed some activist in Georgia, uh, uh, you know, just talking about all sorts of other stuff where it's like the, the debate is, do you need an ID to vote? Yes or no? The, so so if, if people who are just totally captured, they can't even answer those simple questions. Yeah, uh-huh. it's don't, yeah, you do need an ID to vote because you could be a, an illegal. You could be from a heck. You could just be from another country. You could be just visiting from Portugal. Or you could just go vote ten times. Yeah, kicks and laughs. She's like, yeah, I'm going to vote in the American election. Why not? There's no laws here in Georgia. I'll just. Yes. I'm, why not? I'm, or I'm like, I'm so drunk right now. You know, I'm so stoned or whatever. I'm going to vote now. Let's do, let's do this. Let's all vote in the American election and screw it up. I don't know why I have that. <laughs> I, I think we, I think we should start a campaign called all laws are racist and see how yeah. far that gets us. Everything every law is racist because they're all, uh, they all have racist undertones. They're developed through a, a, a system with white privilege. Um, so that's the only uh, thing equal we have to declare all laws are racist yeah. mm, love it love it start that now that that could be what um we, you know we should bring that to maxime and then <laughs> <laughs> hey so this is what you're gonna do now max this is what this is your marketing plan and this is your slogan for now <laughs> uh speaking of max and the pbc how do you how are we going to move forward now um in this new untrue territory in canada i i just think it's going to be a slog it's going to unless something I just think it's, I was going to say unless something drastic happened, but COVID was probably the most drastic thing that could ever happen. And it really barely moved the needle. 
So I think it's just going to take time. And, and look, look at us on this call. Like I didn't vote PPC last election. You said you were red pilled a couple of years ago. Anthony, I don't know about you and, and kind of what, were you a founding member of the PPC? I wasn't a founding member. I joined right after, but you know, so I was, I was a Bernie Sanders volunteer. So let me say, I just, so yeah, no, I was definitely on the left uh, throughout university and I kind of had my red pill moment as well, but you were saying? Oh yeah, just, um, it's going to be a slog. It's going to take a while for people to wake up to, again, to, to just accept the fact that their government can lie to them, that the media can lie to them, and it's not in their best interest to just trust them implicitly and never ask questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maxime Bernier, I think he did an excellent job in creating the PPC. Um, the route that he has chosen and how to make the PPC grow, it is unique. It's never been done before. Typically, when new parties enter the scene in Canada, they are regional parties that expand outwards. Maxime Bernier created a national party, um, and it has its pros and cons. One of the pros is that, it, you know, we still remain to be the fastest growing party in Canadian history. I don't think that should be overlooked. Even though we don't have any seats, we have eight, more than 800,000 people across the country voting for us. That's, uh, that's, that, that's like Mississauga. That's like Calgary. That's not a small amount of people. So, he, you know, he's been able to garnish this support. And there's no denying he is easily the most qualified candidate to leave a party when you uh, to lead a party when you take a look at his resume when you take a look at what he accomplished even as a cabinet minister um maxime though like we we i i think he's great i met him on a few occasions i'm looking forward to meeting with him again soon um but we you know what there's no denying that some sort of shake-up or some sort of uh you know uh, conference ought to happen so that we can kind of discuss things moving forward because we're at this point now where momentum is really starting to, to move forward. Uh, I would say certainly a majority of Canadians now know what the PPC is. Um, and, you know, any way that we can support the PPC supporting Maxime, that's only going to further uh, freedom as well. Like I, uh, nobody's perfect. I don't think Maxime is perfect, but I think he's good. And I think his heart's in the right place. And, you know, so long as that's the case, I want to continue, you know, I want to be there to support him. I want to be there to support, to support the party. And I want to be there to continue seeing this movement expand. See, when something happens in the U.S., it definitely makes its way back to Canada. Um, when U.S. sneezes, Canada catches a cold. Lucy, do you have any more questions or what here? Um, I, I, I think the only question I have is, uh, 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 I guess, what are you, how, how are you, how is your wife, and how's the new baby coming along? Just to give you a heads up, uh, Ian has a lovely wife and a, a lovely uh, daughter already, and he's expecting another child very, very soon. I, I hope they're doing well. I've been watching a lot of sports lately and concentrating on myself, so... <laughs> she's she's good she's got a month to go and uh it's the home stretch and yeah the last month is the hardest that's for sure okay um so i just want to say uh thank you so much ian for coming on it's been over an hour and it's been absolutely delightful and highly informative and i i i would i probably gonna say um anthony feels the exact same way yeah, no, Ian, it was a pleasure getting, you know, having you on this, uh, this podcast. Uh, we've spoken to each other a few times on Instagram. It was really nice getting to know you now. And I'm sure we're going to be talking again shortly. So, yeah. We, we got to go for beers at a, a certain speakeasy. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm about it. Absolutely. Yes. I, I know a few. I know a few. That's, I think that's we we should all do that. Um, maybe in a couple, two three weeks before the holiday um, rush hits, and that's all. Just and that's all, just just also tell our followers and our view and our listeners that they're going to try and cancel Christmas this year. Don't cancel Christmas. Be with your loved ones. Be with your friends. And you know, enjoy parties. Enjoy gatherings. Give gifts. Um, go caroling. Do it all. Do all that wonderful stuff because the purpose of life is not just to live, but to pr- the purpose of life is to live fully. Lucy, if, if we just buckle down one more Christmas, I think I think then we're d- we're done with the COVID. You know, if we or actually, you know what? Give us give the government this Christmas, Easter, next Thanksgiving, and then I'm sure we're done. You mean giving up three years of our lives? 
I just love it. it's like just one more like do you remember that's the most outrageous. it's like remember last Thanksgiving where it's like if we just buckle down this Thanksgiving we'll be able to have Christmas that got us it, it's 10 times worse today than it was last year yeah the more compliant you are the more the masters beat you and take, yes. take your things away Mm-hmm. And on, on that lovely note, <laughs> <laughs> I think that maybe we should uh, we should end this. Amazing. Well, thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for um, coming on. It's been absolutely, again, I've been a delight. And uh, hopefully we will have you again. And hopefully you will uh, be back as the still candidate for the PVC in the fort, in the uh, Sabadina Fort York riding. No, no, I'm, I'm going to Northern Manitoba. I'm going more conservative. Okay. <laughs> well, hopefully next time we get you on, you're going to be MP, Ian Roden. Same thing with you, man. Same thing with you. All right, everyone, uh, just to say, good, uh, say goodbye, and we will see you next week. Just to give you guys a heads up, we have other guests in line, or maybe a man named Maxime Bernier, maybe some guy like that. And also, we will also be having a couple of uh, people from the Christian church, uh, leaders here in the Canada in the Christian church, and we're going to be talking about the Christian persecution that has been happening over the past two years um, due to COVID and all, and the silencing of religious freedoms here in Canada. So if you guys are interested in that, or or if you're if, even if you're not religious, you guys should really listen to it because when when they strip away religious freedoms, they strip away everybody else's freedoms. So it's we're all in this together to quote that famous saying. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that person. <laughs> yeah, and we'll all build back better. Yes, <laughs> build this country back better with high inflation and high unemployment rates. All right, so, um, with that, again, now truly goodbye, and uh, see you in see you see you in the next podcast, everyone. Amazing, bye. Thank you.